know, Nick and I had a very direct talk about this early in, in our bit partnership. It was, all right, from this day forward, we aren't friends anymore. Mm-hmm. We're co-owners of a company. And that's a totally different, and in my opinion, a more uh, a more special relationship, a more intimate relationship than just a friend. And in my mind, especially because we're both mature people and we talk to each other, that wasn't me saying, you know, get out of my life. It was me saying, all right, maybe we shouldn't just like hang out and play video games like we used to in college. If we're ever in the same room together, we should probably be focusing on something much bigger. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Tuttle. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode. We are so excited to have you here. Um, we uh, we had a few episodes uh, that we had to get together really quickly. Our sound editor uh, was going to uh, uh, was traveling to uh, Japan for a little bit for about a month, and so we had to get like three episodes together in a row. So. All the episodes you've heard recently in the last like six episodes, no, five episodes, um, were re- edited very quickly, and uh, all the intros and outros are done really pretty much around the same time. Uh, so this is the first intro outro I've had to do in a while, so uh, it's a little weird, uh, but exciting as well. It's always nice to talk to you guys. Um, a few updates to kind of just kind of get you caught up of where we are right now. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, we announced several, uh, a few episodes ago about uh, Katra Parkman uh, joining the, the, the team as a social media strategist and associate producer. Um, Katra added so much to this team. Uh, she helped us so much with organizing our social media strategy and, you know, coming up actually with a strategy um, and a plan for our Instagram and our Twitter and really gave us some great things to think about and work on and um, help us understand a little more about the social media uh, uh, world and how it works marketing-wise. Um, she had so many great ideas for the show, and uh, you know she was so fantastic to have on board. Uh, unfortunately, due some, to uh, some personal uh, life things, uh, Katra has had to uh, uh, step away uh, from the show, uh, unfortunately, we uh, we were sad to hear that, but you know we, we definitely understand and we definitely wish her the best and uh, everything she's doing. She'll definitely come on every now and then. She was she said she's totally cool with coming on as a special guest here and there. Uh, so you'll hear her again. But uh, we just want to real quick take a second and thank her for uh, the time that she put in with us and the um, amount of stuff that she added to the show to make it even better. Um, and more uh and 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 to get it out to more people and she has stated how much she loves the show and we truly appreciate her as a friend and a colleague and a listener so Kate, if you're listening thank you so much and uh uh you know obviously we'll talk again you're a good friend so i'm sure we'll we'll hang out and all that fun stuff so just want to get that out there um other than that, uh, I actually went to Florida for a little bit. Uh, I had a nice little vacation with the family. Uh, we went to visit some friends of ours and went to the beach. And oh my gosh, the beaches in Florida are so much nicer <laughs> than the beaches in Los Angeles. I mean, the be- beaches in Los Angeles are nice, don't get me wrong. But the sand is so nice. There's no 
like rocks and pebbles and stuff. It's just like stepping on like a sandy mattress. It is so nice and comfortable to step in. Um, I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, but it was so much fun. We I saw it and I thought that was excellent. Um, kind of felt more like a drama a drama with scares. Uh, more than a horror film to me, actually, um, which I thought was a really cool way to approach a horror film, um, where its focus is more on the actor or the main characters and the issues they're going through, and how Pennywise was kind of a reflection of that, and how he reflected their fears and their uh, struggles, which I thought was really cool. Um, I also saw the Belko experiment, uh, which is about a group of people in an office that get caught up in a really twisted game kind of sawish type game and uh i thought that was pretty good it was uh, produced and written by james gunn who directed the guardians of the galaxy movies um and it was it was excellent um and then saw the babadook finally which again was more kind of a drama with scares and had some really like between a mother and a son had some really deep moments and uh it was really great so i definitely suggest all three of those uh the Babadook is great. You kind of still have to like, you know, being scared. Uh, but uh, Babadook and it are great. And Belko Experiment, if you just want some kind of fun, you know, uh, wild, crazy ride <laughs> type movie that's not excellent. It's not like a masterpiece, but it's great. It's good. Um, and I watched the Emmys, and I was so happy for The Handmaid's Tale. I think that show is fantastic. Uh, John Oliver, uh, I was glad he won. I mean, there was a lot of great wins for Lincoln Brown. Um, the Emmys was interesting. I wasn't, it was okay, and the opening was good, but the rest was kind of meh uh, in the sense of the presentation. Um, but I was happy for the winners, and I thought everybody nominated definitely deserved it. Donald Glover, I mean, who thought that his uh, first Emmy would be for directing, <laughs> right? Um, so, I mean, that's definitely awesome. I just wanted to catch you guys up on what was going on, uh, but now to the episode. Michael and I have been friends with this week's guests for several years, and I've worked shoulder-to-shoulder on a few sets with them. Uh, I am talking about the up-and-coming production company, Leading Lobos. Uh, Nick Smith, the talker and the networker, and Marcus Friedlander, the visionary and the glue of the company. We discuss their origins of their love and obsession of film, how their separate journeys led to each other, and what it takes for friends to become business partners. Uh, We discuss the beginnings of a production company from financing to equipment. Uh, Nick and Marcus discuss what it takes to take a dream and make it reality. And we also give them the same uh, Know Your Partner quiz that Michael and I took at the uh, first Team Hustle episode. So grab a friend, drop some contracts, and enjoy the knowledge and laughs as we talk to our good friends and colleagues, Nick and Marcus of Leading Lobos. Take it away, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Today I'm here with two, I would say wonderful gentlemen, but, no, I'm just kidding, they're great. Uh, Nick and Marcus of Leading Lobos. These guys have known each other for six years, worked together for four years as Leading Lobos. Uh, They're directors, actors, DPs, uh, producers, writers, you name it, they've done it. They've worked in several films, short films, since school. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick and Marcus of Leading Lobos. Hello, hello. Yay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> How was that? Was that good? That was not quite <laughs> a little more. Yeah. Well, hey. I enough. <laughs> How are you guys doing? 
All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for being on Hollywood Hustle. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. us. We're honored. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so let's just start off from the beginning. We like to go back from the start. Uh, just a quick kind of summary of where you're from and your family and how you kind of came to L.A. Uh, I'm if you were born here yeah I, I'm from Los Angeles I, I definitely didn't have to move here um, I've been in the San Fernando Valley all of my life I, I do come over the hill for work um, do you also come through the woods um, that's the correct answer to that to grandmother's house we go there we go <laughs> that <laughs> so that is also what I do um, but yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm here I've been here um, didn't really have to make any change right. uh, geographically <laughs> do you have any brothers or sisters or I got a half brother his name's Lior he's graduating uh, June 9th from hey, high school hey, yeah. congratulations he's smarter than me so. you, you already graduated but congratulations <laughs> barely <laughs> <laughs> See, he's school's not a place for smart people right Morty yes <laughs> thank you Rick there you go how about you Marcus uh, I've also uh, grew up in LA. I was actually born in uh, in Texas, uh, in Plano, was a little suburb outside of Dallas. Then Did I know that? Did I know that? We probably have talked. Yeah, I think about we this, talked so. about that. Okay. Uh, also from from Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Uh, yes. 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 Uh, and I moved out here uh, when I was about two with uh, my family. My dad was moving here for work, and was lucky enough to grow up in gorgeous Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. definitely uh, kept film in the back of my mind since I was since I was a little kid, especially growing up here, and it's you know it's what I've wanted to do since as long as I can remember. What did your dad move here for? Was it work? Uh, work? For, for work. Yeah. Okay. Um, usually when somebody says they moved here from somewhere else, we usually I talk about like planning and, and when you first moved here, how did you feel? So when you were two, how did you plan your move here? <laughs> well, I really just only was only focused on the whole napping situation <laughs> and then maybe the occasional eating and pooping. Mm-hmm. But besides mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. was the extent of my, my focus. So your planning was pretty much like minute to minute. Yeah, it's okay. not that much different than now. Really. <laughs> it hasn't changed. It hasn't much. changed much. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I stayed true to myself. So what's the oldest memory you guys have of film Ooh, probably uh, watching The Godfather with my parents when I was like eight or so maybe ten wow yeah uh, I, I've always said wow. you know, instead of watching like Barney when I was growing up my parents were showing me The Godfather and, and Jason and Friday the 13th and not, not quite so much that they stayed to the, the true classics not, not so much into the horror classics gotcha. okay. You know? okay and that, that definitely shaped who I was as a person the way I thought and the way mm-hmm. I saw film you know, from, mm-hmm. from he did make me an offer I couldn't refuse it he keeps bringing up mattresses yeah. Yeah. I don't understand what he's talking <laughs> every about. time he hits me there's always oranges <laughs> in the room <laughs> he keeps telling me to take the cannoli I never have a cannoli <laughs> don't eat them. They're not even good. There's so many. You but, singered a whole group of people. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> They're delicious. But I mean, my this is probably you'll get your your first uh, uh, idea of where Marcus and I differ. My first, uh, uh, I guess, memory of film is Pete's Dragon. Oh, I love Pete's Dragon. Yeah. And I, I swear to God, this may actually be like my first memory that I remember. Like, okay. like yeah. very first memory. Like ever. That you saw ever, ever. Right. Is, is this one. I would, and it's nothing about the movie. I, I couldn't tell you what it's about. I know it's about a dragon and a kid, but like, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. Um, I, I remember that the VHS that it was playing on, I had watched this movie, I kid you not, like six seven times in a row because that's what kids do like they you know this is they just get obsessed with something you, you wear the, the tape out what the, it broke in, in the vhs player and i cried my eyes out to my mom and and she understood so <laughs> which was the best part because it was like man this 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 sucks hard but uh mm-hmm. 
it was it, it was like my first memory. I remember I love that movie so much, and I ha- ironically I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since that fateful day. <laughs> I'd be curious to. I may have been four years old, by the way, four or five years old. This is really, really right, impressive. Right. I'd be curious before this come, you know, this this episode's released. I would be curious for you to watch it again. I will one hundred percent because now I have to. And I want to. I want to give an update <laughs> to people. Like I'll be watching it again. <laughs> and he said, "I cried." <laughs> and the DVD player broke. <laughs> Some things never change. I broke. Netflix. It's just me. I break things. <laughs> now, will you watch the original and then watch the new one? I, you know, I actually didn't hear terrible things about the new one. I, I anticipated hearing bad things. I gotta I got be honest. I yeah. really did. The dragon looked like a fuzzy bear a little bit, and I was like, what are we, what are we doing here? It's like a fuzzy bear dog. It was, it was weird. It was odd. Mm-hmm. But I didn't hear bad things. I really didn't. So, I mean, if I get the uh, chutzpah to go back and watch it and, and man up, uh, and, uh, or uh, person up, you right. gotta be careful, um, <laughs> then... I would have. I would probably go and watch the uh, the new one too. Okay. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. um, what what is like you watch the remake of the Godfather that'll eventually happen, right? Oh God, no. <laughs> Chris Pine. Exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> no, yeah. Chris Pine. Uh, Susan Luke, she's gonna be in there somewhere. I just threw up a lot in my Mr. Bean. <laughs> Mr. Bean. Oh, definitely. Okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'll forget you had me. <laughs> you can, I'm in. I'll, I'll help produce it. How much are you pay? And there's um, a dragon in this one. <laughs> uh, would you guys call yourselves, uh, have called yourselves imaginative children oh, when yeah. you were young? Were y'all Absolutely. kind of, what, how did y'all, what was y'all's source or output for your imagination? What did y'all do? For 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 me, for for me, it always uh, it always came down to when I was in class and uh, and daydreaming. I always had this like it was a, it was a magical gift as a kid, but I could not pay attention to what the teacher was saying and like look out the window. Mm-hmm. And then when they called me out on it, repeat verbatim what they said to me <laughs> for the last couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And so for most of my young life in school, I never really had to focus, focus, mm-hmm. so I could just let my mind wander. And then those, you know, stories that I told myself, the little, you know, the toys you play with as a kid and how that develops, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of built this, uh, this way of telling stories in my head, okay. kind of getting lost in my own imagination. Good. How about you, Nick? You know, I, I, I fought my imagination when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I was your, uh, your prototypical, like, all-American jock, just, I, that's what I was going to do. I was going to, mm-hmm. you know, play sports. I was going to go to school, get an education. Maybe I would, you know, pursue sports, professionally baseball. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just it. I never really had uh, an outlet for my creativity, and it wasn't. I don't think anybody suppressed it. I think I, I it was self suppressed. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it was like, no, this is who I am, and this is what it is. But I'm, I, I got these really embarrassing stories about me and movies. But um, I was in the bathtub, and my mom was giving me a bath, <laughs> and I, I must have been obviously young. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope this wasn't like last holiday. I think it was at least a year ago. Um, but I'm I, I'm a huge uh, NSYNC fan. Huge NSYNC fan. I had to preface that because I was listening to the Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was God. Me what's true. the song with the witch laughing? You're asking the wrong. In, in, in the, it opens with the witch laughing for Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Like, is that is that a Backstreet's back? It might have been. Yeah. It was one of those songs, and it was what they they they're um, they're watered down thrillers. Yeah, exactly. But they uh, they changed who was singing quite quickly during this sequence, mm-hmm. and like in my mind, it I didn't think about it as audio. Mm-hmm. It was it was a visual thing for right. me. It was, and I remember in that moment I said, "Mom, wouldn't it be cool if?" 
you you know there was it, there was a square on the TV and it was broken up into four parts and each one of them were you know would would sing and then they'd stop and then this one would sing and then they'd stop and it was it was just I was thinking visually mm-hmm. and I remember that was the first time I ever was like man I. I I mean, it's a pretty simple thing to do, right. but for a seven-year-old who's really never had an inkling and or an interest in the arts, I was like, this is a really cool thing to be able to control what somebody sees and how they feel because of it. Mom, instead of a wide shot, it'd be better if they did a paper <laughs> and then did a flyover exactly. aerial shot. Give me a gimbal, Mom. <laughs> when I'm seven, <laughs> it doesn't exist yet, Nick. <laughs> then invent it, Mom. God. God, you're the worst. Give me the duck. Okay, I'm done with the duck. <laughs> the duck it needs to I'm be out. I'm going to make the gimbal. <laughs> with the duck. With the duck. Um, <laughs> Very imaginative seven-year-old. So you kind of talked about playing sports, Nick. Yeah. Uh, when you, did you play Absolutely. sports? What, what did you play? Uh, when I was very young, I played baseball and soccer, and then a little bit older was basketball, and then high school was only lacrosse. Okay, you stopped okay. playing basketball because... Yeah, yeah. The whole too short, too short. This is an audio show. Oh yeah. Okay, yes. so what, what you're missing here is I put my hand and I have lowered it. Yeah, he, he did a tiny. Something. What you're missing here is I'm about five and a half feet tall <laughs> and not suited to play he's, basketball. He's six and a half in my. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Um, he's got hairy feet. Yes. <laughs> what, 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 what sports did you play, Nick? Thank you for getting that. Um, I played baseball. Okay. Yeah, I played. That was uh, I played baseball and soccer until I was eight. And then I made a dumb decision and picked the sport I was not as good at, but I liked more. I was very good at soccer. I, as good as I am right now at soccer is how good I was at eight. Gotcha. So there was no advancement. Well, that's sad. <laughs> but it's impressive. If you, if, if you play me, if you play me in soccer right now, you, could, you, you would probably say, wow, that's a really good eight-year-old at soccer. Yeah. Except I'm not eight anymore. Yeah, so, 16 years later. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I love baseball. I still do. I think it's my favorite sport. Uh, I like watching football more, but I played baseball, and I was very good at it because I tried really hard, and I practiced really hard, <laughs> but naturally I was more gifted at soccer. Life lessons. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so through your education, mm-hmm. did you automatically kind of go towards the cinematic type stuff as you went through high school and and college, or is that already in your mind pursuing Absolutely a career? Not. Absolutely you know? not. There, for me, there, there were three possible options I kind of saw about sophomore year or mm-hmm. so of high school. Uh, one was to be a professional cross player, which was just kind of, you know, the, the 14, 15-year-old in me, you know, wanting to have fun. Right. The other one was to be a history teacher, because I absolutely love history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was would have been high school or college, uh, but even, you know, maybe sometime later in my life I may go back into education, because I do really love teaching. But the, uh, the very obvious choice was film, you know, growing up in LA with the, in the kind of environment that I grew up in, we were naturally pre, uh, predisposed to, to kind of this way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And then from the very first time I ever walked onto a set, five minutes in, I just, I knew. The energy, the way people move, the way they talk, the way everyone worked, I just knew this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. Now Nick, you said no. Absolutely not. So what was what was your career path before you kind of went? I, don't really ha- I didn't really have one. Okay. Um, again, I was just school. That was it, I was going to school so I could play baseball. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped playing baseball, and I was like, wow, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll major in some business thing, right? Administration, management, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I, I, I'm, I am too, too hyper to just sit behind a desk all day. And ultimately what I think that is is not just me being hyper, it's too creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I was... Um, I was uh, I, I was just kind of getting by, just taking classes, and I was going to get a piece of paper, and I was going to get a job, and I, I couldn't do that. So, 
um, I had a job opportunity um, to go to Boston. I was going to be a store manager at a retail store. Uh, I was 20 years old. They were going to put me on salary. I was going to have my own, my own like health benefits, dental, the whole thing. They were going to pay for my relocation. They were going to pay for my apartment. Wow. And I mean, it was it was pretty pretty amazing. How did I get that job? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I was working there. I came down for like four or five months. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, we're going to open up a new store in Boston. And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to go to Boston. Let me see, let me see what I can do. And I, I this is an all-girl, like, urban outfitter store mm-hmm. um, type of store. Um, and I, was, I went to my manager. And I was like, so what's, do you guys pay for relocation for, like, employees? And I'm like, only for management. I'm like, how do I get into management? She's like, do you want to get into management? And I'm like, I want to get into management. And I was into management. This conversation <laughs> seems really in-depth. Yeah. And that's just, and that happened. And uh, that was my plan. I was going to, I was going to go there. But I did have a plan. I did, I was going to go there for around five to seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. I was going to save up money. I was going to come back and I was actually going to try and open up a production company. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then one thing led to another and I was let go um, as I had already dropped out of school. Um, I had already said goodbye to my family, my friends. I had dropped out of my fraternity. Um, and it was honestly like a week before I was supposed to move. Oh. A week before I was supposed to move, they, they let me go for, for reasons that I will always remember but won't, won't share. <laughs> um, and, and I remember I went to Marcus, and he's my, he's my pledge brother in my fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, we, we rushed the same semester. Um, and we went through pledge period together and uh, I remember I went to his house and I said Marcus I, I don't I don't have a job anymore I'm not in school I'm out of fraternity but I really want to do something with film because I, I really don't want to do anything else he said that's great buddy good luck <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the exact opposite actually yeah. <laughs> he said me too mm-hmm. and his, his plan w- was definitely more structured before that I mean he was gonna do his schooling he was going to just do that. He was just right. going to follow the path and let his feet guide him. Right. And um, so, real quick, I just yeah. want to, uh, before we kind of get too far into that, go ahead. Um, what's, where, where did y'all go to school? Tucson. Cal State Northridge. Well, you both went, okay. You, oh, you mean yeah, plus yeah. two. That's right. What was y'all's majors? Screenwriting. Screenwriting? Who cares? It was, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it was business management for the record. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Hey, but I'm sure that worked out a little bit. Only the production company. I paid this much attention. That's zero for those who listen. I, I paid very visual I paid that much attention in class. I mean, I was just awful. Right. It's not. Well, before we move on, uh, you, you said you both played sports. Um, is there anything? And I like to ask. We've had a few uh, athletes on that are now in the entertainment industry. Is there anything that you took from that time oh, yeah. playing sports that has helped you? now uh, in Without your chosen career. It's the only thing that, that kind of has me where I am mm-hmm. mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I played baseball, and anybody who follows baseball more than just at you know just a casual watcher, mm-hmm. the best baseball player on the planet fails 70% of the time. The best baseball player on the planet fails 70% of the time. Um, baseball is a sport where individual success provides team success. It's not basketball. It's not football where kind of things move as a unit yeah at any given time it is nine people against one mm-hmm. at any given time and so you you've got the dynamic of really needing to take care of yourself before you can help others which i think is 
one of the most crucial things that anybody can learn. I know your parents always tell you that when, before you start dating. You know, you got to love yourself before you can love somebody else, that kind of stuff. And I, I, I think it definitely translates into my professional career, which is I have to take care of myself before I can take care of anybody else. Right. And failing 70% of the time, I got sales jobs when uh, when Marcus and I were uh, were first starting up our company. So, you know, I, you know, no, hearing no is, is something that... Uh, made this process a lot easier yeah no is a word you get used to in this business absolutely. and hearing it before then is is uh is crucial absolutely how about you marcus a hundred percent i mean uh, I, I played a bunch of sports growing up as we as we mentioned before mm-hmm. but uh definitely lacrosse in high school was where i really found uh who i was as a person mm-hmm. um i loved all, all the, that's what we have to blame <laughs> yes, you can play my, my lacrosse coach, Tyler, you know, Tyler Gilbert, if you're, if you're listening to this. Thank you. you um, or Sean Lindsay, my senior coach. Yeah, got to give him some love as well. Um, but uh, I definitely love the team aspects of all the sports I played. I've always considered myself uh, more comfortable in a group uh, environment where a bunch of people are working together for a singular goal, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I found the film set so uh, appealing. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I always knew that about myself, you know, I always knew it. But once I got to lacrosse, that's where I found my work ethic and that uh, and what it really meant to want something and then go after the thing you want. Uh, and then that, you know, easily applied over to, to my film career. Because uh, what I learned from lacrosse was when you didn't practice hard enough, when, when you weren't really truly prepared enough, the only time it came to head was when the ball was in your stick, you know, the defender on you, when all the pressure was on you and everyone was looking, that's when you really felt that internal holy crap, I didn't, I didn't prepare well enough, you know? Uh, and uh, that feeling is an awful, awful feeling. Right. And I, I learned from that the, the value of preparation, the value of the work ethic, and uh, that happened my, my junior year or so is when I was really starting to feel that. Totally changed the way that I prepped, changed all my workouts, changed my practice regimen, and then really what I was getting at is that once I, once I got into film and knew that film was, was the thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I knew I never wanted to have that feeling ever again on a film set. So for anyone who knows me, they, they, can, they can attest to this. Every second that I can, I'm reading something, I'm watching something, I'm listening to something, I'm doing everything I can at every second to increase the, the knowledge I have to make myself a better filmmaker. So when I do walk on a set, I'm 100% confident. I never feel any of those, those pressures, and I'm ready to, to perform to the best of my ability. Fantastic. Um, let's move to L.A., the, the city of dreams, the city of failures, mm. the city of pain, mm. and the city of love and hate. Mm. And beautiful love. I'm just going to keep naming adjectives, <laughs> the city of greatness. Um, what makes L.A. different from other cities in your minds? Um, I know, Marcus, you do a lot of videography traveling and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. you've been to several cities around the U.S. Yeah, I just got uh, done with the last the, few years. Yeah, uh, I just got done with a four-month contract where I went basically every state on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and definitely, definitely, one, the smog. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have, and the bad, the good from the smog are sunsets, which you don't see anywhere else in the world. Just, no. But... Besides that. <laughs> so other than that, other than uh, that, what do you guys feel is different about, about L.A. than any other city than it's out there? the speed of L.A. Mm-hmm. The, this is a very fast town where the second you kind of fall off of uh, the momentum, off, off the path, it's very, very difficult to jump back on. And mm-hmm. You very quickly feel like you're separated from where the pack is going. And yeah. when you go to other parts of the world, you know, other parts of the country, even people think and act and walk and drive, especially mm-hmm. at a much slower, much slower pace. I mean, I have no idea. I, all all I would do is project. <laughs> I, I I would definitely bow to Marcus on this one, but I mean, 
I, I just it, it's not unfamiliar to me. It's not overly fast. It's mm-hmm. it's just where I'm from. It's what it is. So. Well, you were born into the the speed of it. Mm-hmm. If so you you're already in that kind of I think yeah. that 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 level that that it's at. So yeah. uh, I think coming from Texas, I mean you came when you were two. Texas is definitely. But tell us how it was. <laughs> no, listen, tell me what what did you learn? I um, was crying about everything. <laughs> everything was just super emotional. Just a whiny baby. Yeah. Um, you know, I think moving from Texas, Texas is a, some parts of it slower mm-hmm. than most uh, mm-hmm. most cities. Very more of a, a relaxed pace. Mm-hmm. Um, which you think you come to a beach city, you think oh that's what it's going to be. And there's some spots in LA that are definitely that relaxed space. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you kind of cross the street and then you're back into that. Speed force. Like, yeah, I, I definitely I can touch on that. I mean, the whole other side of the railroad tracks, that mm-hmm. thing is real. Like, it, we don't have to talk about you know the film aspect or whatever, but that that is something that I've noticed in LA that I saw in, in movies that kind of always resonated with me is that I have been to many places where I have literally looked at the other side of the street and it has been a completely different place, one hundred percent. And I mean, I've traveled a little bit uh, around the country, not not as much as Marcus or you know probably most people, but I definitely think that is a unique thing to Los Angeles is the ability to be in a completely different place, like across the street. Well, it's like literally you could be one side of the street and there's like a three hundred thousand dollar house, mm-hmm. and then you go across the street and it's like two million dollar house. One hundred percent. Where wait, what just happened? Yeah, I mean, How right, did I get right where we are right now, you know, you mm-hmm. go one minute north, you're in downtown. One minute yeah. south, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. you really couldn't be in different areas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those you know listening that are maybe thinking about moving here and things like that, what tips do you guys have for like surviving LA? Network. Uh, that's yeah. that's really the, what what your support network and your support system is really the only the only thing that matters. You yeah. know. Uh, of course, getting a job and having a place to stay, you know, the, those details, however big or small they may be, are of course important, mm-hmm. but they all come back to the same uh, idea that you can't just come here by yourself and expect things to happen the next day. That just It's not how this town works. But if you even have one person who you can call and say, hey, you want to go out and grab a beer? And maybe bring a couple of your friends and you know, I'll buy you all your first round. Even something as small as that starts a connection, starts a network, starts to build your world in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving here yeah yeah what would be advice or yeah like what do you what do you think you know uh, the the best ways to survive this place like what what would help them succeed in planning and getting ready to come here I'm the most pessimistic optimistic person on the planet (laughs) Um, pessimistic it is very very difficult it's very difficult I I, I live here I've been born here and it's very difficult Mm -hmm. Um, man, I, you know, I'm sure one of these questions later on is going to be, you know, what's your advice that you would give to young filmmakers, or would you encourage this? Something I feel like this kind of ties in, and man, it 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 is a very good chance you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. There is a very good chance you're not going to make it. Much higher likelihood than that baseball analogy I gave you. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it it is hard. You you have to be able to be okay with not making it like that that's how i honestly i pitch most of my friends when i have a a passion project or something that i need their help with i always tell them the worst possible scenario is probably going to happen and you need to still be okay if that's the only thing that happens Mm -hmm. i I, I, that you know i think that's true i mean that's the realism of what la is and the percentage of people that move here and Mm -hmm. stay here 
and the percentage of people that move here and then leave within a few months well, or a year. I, I do also, I mean, I, I, I did mention I am a pessimistist. Um, and there really is a beauty, though, to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a high likelihood, higher than any, that you're going to fail. But you can also make it. Mm-hmm. You can also 100% carve your own path. Absolutely. That is very real. I have <laughs> zero connections to the film industry that are willing to help me in like a family sense. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. I had to go out and meet Marcus. I had to go out and network with him who was really into film. This guy is a genius. The, the reason why I'm going to succeed is because I'm good at what Marcus said. I'm good at networking. I'm good at putting myself with people who are better than me. I'm good at putting myself and not being the most intelligent person in the room on any particular subject. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to recognize talent. You need to be able to recognize things take effort. You know, things take, you know, it's hard work. Um, if you're okay not being the best yet, then you, there is a higher likelihood that you will succeed. It doesn't guarantee it, mm-hmm. but there, you, don't, you don't wake up being... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola or uh, Christopher Nolan, you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's, it's just so rare. You have to surround yourself with people who are better than you. They're gonna, even if you never make it, you're going to become a better artist. You're gonna become a better person. And then you also give yourself a higher chance and higher likelihood of succeeding. I mean, how many cities, maybe other than maybe like New York, sure. is there a, like when you reach three years, like celebrate because that's like. See, I actually can't relate to that, but is that a thing? Yes, yeah, yeah. okay. I've, I've, I've heard it's like it's a three year, year thing. If you make it three years, then you need to celebrate because yeah. that is you've, rare. You've, you've, you've that means you have, you're, there's more likely chance you're going to be here in the long yeah. term. But well, it's, it, chances is an important uh, word to discuss because one of the things that's so difficult about film in comparison to like uh, being a lawyer or a doctor, mm-hmm. if you want to be, uh, no, seriously. Uh, no, I know, I know. It's, it's just funny because it's true. But the, <laughs> if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor, you go to very difficult school, yes. you take a very, very difficult test and you study for months for it, and when you pass that and you pass all the stuff, they you're hand you a piece of paper and you're, you're a doctor. You're a doctor and you're a lawyer. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a true thing. I, mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but my, my uncle, he, uh, he, he said, man, Nick, you know, with, without cussing, he said, you picked one of the worst careers <laughs> that, there, that there is. Mm-hmm. He's an old doctor is what he is. This guy went through 12 years of schooling, right? Like ridiculous, arduous things that just, you, like 12 hours of studying, we were 12 hours on set. But his thing was, and he's always told me, when he, you know, he follows it up with, Nick, all I had to do was put my head down and not pick it back up for X amount of time, and boom, I was gonna be a doctor. You could put your head down your entire life, and it would have just passed you by. Mm-hmm. And all, the best you can do, though, is continue to increase your chances. Yep. You'll never get to 100%, but you can keep adding 0.01 for my final form. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's where the, you know, some of these things are small. You know, starting the production company got us, uh, it was a big step, but all these little jobs that we took, even though they seemed you know, minor, maybe they, they seemed uh, like they weren't gonna lead to something bigger, each one of these things increases your chances and we wouldn't have been able to do the, the six features we, we did in 13 months. We wouldn't be able to do that if we hadn't done these smaller jobs, made the connections with both the crew we needed, the producers we needed, the talent we needed, uh, if you don't just constantly increase your, your, your chances, you're never going to actually get that chance. Absolutely. Um, now, we kind of talked about people leaving. You know, Some people stay here three months, a year maybe, and then something happens, and whether they have to go back or it just doesn't work out. What do you think the biggest mistakes most people make living here that causes them to move back? I, 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 obviously, we're just guessing, 
I mean, there's tons of reasons why people. No, I know 100 percent what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, Laziness. If I had to put a giant blanket statement on it, it would probably be people spending money on things they don't need or shouldn't be spending their money on. Mm-hmm. LA is a very expensive place to live. Uh, rent is ludicrous here. You know, I think New York and San Francisco are the only places in the country it's more expensive. Um, drinks are also very, very expensive, so mm-hmm. you have to balance off. But you can't get through it sober. <laughs> well, no one can get through anything sober. <laughs> but you, you can't balance off uh, the networking uh, that you need with the fact that you have to pay your bills. So some people, you know, they'll spend a couple hundred dollars on drinks, which is networking, but then they'll spend a couple hundred dollars on clothes, which mm-hmm. may not have been the, the proper use of that money. And you add that up long enough, you spend a couple thousand dollars that could have saved your life. Instead, you have some right. nice shoes. Absolutely. What, what do you think, Nick? I think, I think that's the logical approach mm-hmm. that Marcus took. Um, I think what it comes down to, honestly, it, or people being idiots, I really do. I think most of these things are controllable for the most part. And that's also managing your expectations. I don't think that, I think that an overinflated ego and I think thinking things are going to be easier than, than they are, I think underestimating how hard things are going to be. I think all of that, and I was very strong in my word, but <clears throat> I really do believe it. most of the failure is is your own doing, but also how do you measure failure? How would you measure somebody not succeeding in Los Angeles? Is it that they don't make it in the film world, or is it that they have to move back, or is it that they have a professional career here that just doesn't happen to be filmed? So the definition of failure is also something that needs to be addressed to properly answer this, but in a more generic approach, someone who would fail here is someone who underestimates how difficult it is. Um, and I think that dictates all of your moves. You know, I mean, I have, for one Second, I have never underestimated how hard this would be. Yeah. And I can think that's, I mean, aside from partnering with Marcus, I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths that I have, ironically, is being this optimistic pessimist or this pessimistic optimist. Mm-hmm. Someone who says, look, I know that I am talented right now. I will get more talented. I'm surrounding myself with talented people. I don't know if I'm going to be successful tomorrow or in 10 years. But if I keep doing what I'm doing, I have seen growth. Mm-hmm. I have seen things happen mm-hmm. not as fast as I'd like well, them. I, I, I would say in a lot of ways it's that <laughs> mismeasuring growth. Yeah. Not understanding like what but is... There is so no way to measure what, it here. What, but the, the idea of like what is success? Oh, it's like, so hard. What is, what is your personal my, success? My favorite quote about success in the film industry is it doesn't matter how much money your last movie made, doesn't matter if it was any good at all, if someone gives you a chance to make another movie, you're a successful filmmaker. Mm-hmm. There's that, something to be said. Anthony Hopkins, I'm pretty sure, openly called Michael Bay a genius, <laughs> and and you, we can all, everybody in the fi- everybody in the film world loves to be that guy who critiques Michael Bay because of whatever reason, and like objectively, you can come up with things, and that's fine. But the dude makes movies that make billions. Mm-hmm. That dude has made movies that everybody has seen <clears throat> twice. Oh, yeah. and I mean, and it. And it's the, the genius is not measured in in in, uh, in in your ability to make a good product in, in from an objective standpoint from a storytelling perspective. It is my measure of of a, of a successful film. I know Marcus said, "Can you make your next one?" But I think if you are talking about the film as soon as it's done, and you need to have a discussion, you can't wait. You need to talk about it, good or bad. Your film is a success. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'd say in 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 the industry side. Uh, success. I know I'm attributing a lot to the industry side. So right. Yeah. Well, in the industry side, um, genius is based on financial gain plus 
social social discussion. Um, just because because that's the industry. Yeah. It's a business. I, I think the better phrase to use, especially because we're talking about filmmaking, mm-hmm. is intention. Intention, mm-hmm. when, especially when you're talking about the art side of it, is everything. Every mm-hmm. single thing is intention. But happy accidents count. Oh, of course, happy accidents count. But yeah. the, the there's a famous story from Kurosawa who said, uh, there was, I forgot what film it was, but he framed up a shot. It was a gorgeous, uh, I think it was looking out through like an overhang out into uh, the distance. And a character standing in front of it, and some film critic asked him, you know, why'd you frame that shot like that? And he said, well, if I panned left, I would have seen the Sony factory, and if I panned right, I would have seen, like, the Honda factory or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, sometimes the frame is what it is as a result of, of, of making the film, mm-hmm. but the, the idea comes down to intention. Right. So for Michael Bay, I don't judge Michael Bay's films the same way I judge Kubrick films. That'd be ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, when you're judging Michael Bay, you're judging what his intentions are. His intentions are to make a film that six, seven billion people the world over can enjoy. Yeah. And he does it, you know, nine times out of ten. It's a universal language. Marvel Bay is the universal language of film. Yeah. It really is. And the not Explosions and spin shots. You could I'm not kidding, you could watch that movie with zero dialogue and still be entertained. That's the point of it. Yeah. And the well, a lot of people in the industry will complain that, you know, it's killing art or whatever and you know, of course there's an argument for that, whatever, but the, the point is that the rest of the film industry is buoyed by the fact that his films turn profits of hundreds of millions of dollars. Studios are allowed to make art house films because Michael Bay exists. Exactly. It's, it's a whole studio system. That's why it's not, uh, nothing exists in a vacuum. And I, I guarantee you, if Michael Bay wanted to, he could do that. He could make an art house film. He's, there's no doubt that he's a talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He really I, is. I didn't see, I think it was 13 hours, but that was his, you know, I'm going to pull it back a little bit and make an actual I mean, movie. Pain and Gain was, was still thoroughly entertaining. I mean, I, everything he makes that I have seen. I actually really enjoyed Pain and Gain. Yeah, Pain and Gain was, was fun. I loved yeah. it. But don't you feel like you were a little embarrassed that you, you said it that, you know? I've, I've never been embarrassed about enjoying Michael Bay films, but that's good. I, I, feel, I, feel, I, feel, I, do, I feel like there's a stigma yeah. that a lot of people do. No, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I'm one of those people. I, I feel like when I go to see a movie, I know what I'm getting into. I know when I go see a Michael Bay film, Intention. for the most part, I know exactly, and I'm there to enjoy that. Exactly. If I'm going to see uh, a Kubrick film, I know what I'm going to see. I'm going have a time to enjoy machine. that. Play with I'm going to see him play. Like film a scene. I would pay to see that. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about you guys and your connection with LA. What's some of your favorite places in LA? Or favorite things to do in Without LA? Without a doubt, my two favorite places in LA are the Getty mm-hmm. and Zuma Beach. Uh, now, can you explain the, what the Getty is, just for those that may not know? What it is? Uh, the Getty Museum uh, is a museum that's sitting on top of a mountain, kind of right in the center geographically of LA. Overlooks most of Los Angeles, but specifically the southern half of Los Angeles. Uh, that's a full art museum with everything from kind of 15th, 16th century up to modern day that also has a great garden uh, area as well and uh, is completely free. You just got to pay for parking or get yourself there, you know, Uber or Lyft or whatever. Uh, and I live, if there's no traffic, five, ten minutes away. If there is traffic, an hour away. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten minutes. <laughs> I live right down four or five. It's like 15 without traffic. Fine. And anyways, the, the point is, when, when I need... This is distance talk. <laughs> yeah. This is a very LA conversation. Five, four, yeah. five, the 118, the Stewart. Well, the, the, the point is that whenever I needed a, a spiritual cleansing type of day, that's where I go to be alone. I'll throw on some music, you know, put my headphones in, bring my camera, and just mm-hmm. get lost in, in the art. Okay. Absolutely. What, what was the other one you said? And Zuma Beach. Uh, growing, uh, it's in Malibu, for, for people who don't know, that's the, the, the beach down there. And the place where I grew up is about... 
30 minutes or so from that spot. I think it's more like 45 minutes, really. <laughs> Maybe 47. <Wow. laughs> Anyways, the point is, growing up, that was that was my, you know, the beach that me and my friends went to. That was That's what, when you say the ocean and the beach, that's where I think of. Mm-hmm. So those two spots, kind of the anchor of my personality is, you know, growing up and then where I am today as an artist. Gotcha. How, about, how about you, Nick? Um, I, I, I'm a lot less exciting than Marcus, and, I, and that wasn't even that exciting. Um, <laughs> you I, are exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Disneyland. I love, like, the typical touristy places, mm-hmm. but I, I am... I, I so need my, like, relaxation time. Um, mm-hmm. When I do something for me and I go somewhere, I, I just like being with people I like or by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really matter where it is, but sure. You, you've, uh, I, I enjoy Madden uh, shows where you can see the that, that That's unbelievable stuff. As an artist, I think you know being able to appreciate somebody else's art is, is definitely important. You know, the Getty's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It really is as beautiful as, as Marcus made it seem. Zuma Beach is amazing. It's a little cold. Um, the water, but like I whatever. Man, like, really, really got to throw that dig into Marcus. Yeah. Really, yeah. What are your I mean, favorite places? There? I mean, I mean, the Getty's cool. Yeah. It's a little decrepit. <laughs> I was, I was pretty high on his praise for the Getty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the typical places. Disneyland is definitely a place where if I have money, I, I I'd like to be. I haven't had a lot of that recently, so I haven't been there. But it, I, it's it's it, truly I, I'm never not happy there. It's, it's a magical beautiful. place. It's it really is. It really is a magical Honestly, place. Honestly, 100%, place. no no foo-foo on that. That is real. And we're not even going to sponsor by Disney. <laughs> oh my God, if we could. Uh, I actually talked to some But if you checked here. out their new Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy ride, it is phenomenal. Critics are saying. You have to wait five hours though. I talked to uh, uh, somebody I work with today told me they went and to, and wrote it yesterday. Yeah. They went and, yeah. But they had, they loved it. They said it was I'm sure it's phenomenal. So They've got like fun. five or six different things that you can experience yeah. in terms of what you're witnessing visually. But it's not canon. For those that are wondering, it's oh. not canon. Okay, cool. Is, I know James Gunn directed it though. Yeah, yeah. but he, he's come out and even said it's not. I love canon him on Facebook. Yeah. He gives so such great insight to like him and his <laughs> projects. That guy is. If you follow any filmmaker, it's got to be him because yeah. he's just so personable on mm-hmm. on, on his. And he really like he always almost every success he has, he writes a letter to the, the fans. He's so honest and, and yeah. it's it's so important to have that kind of one on one connection with mm-hmm. with your fans these days. So social media allows it. You know, if you can, and the great thing about James Gunn is he spends most of his time educating. It's not just ah, yes. look at me, look at me. I mean, he does you know do a lot of those type of stuff as well, and he's earned it. But mm-hmm. a lot of it is people asking. Hey, how did you do this? And he said, "This is how we did it." Right. And he has an answer for everything. That guy is—he's uh, definitely someone you respect on on, on a set because he is—he's as knowledgeable as anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what would you say? Uh, what works for, with LA in film? Like, why does film work in LA? The way I see, there's two very, very good reasons why LA has—or uh, three, I guess you could say—why LA has had such success as a filming town. One. Uh, the sun and the weather, you know, mm-hmm. especially or not so much these days, but very, very much in the early days of film, you needed as much light as you can get. Mm-hmm. You needed it for as long of the days as possible, and you needed the uh, nicest weather possible because people would be standing outside for twelve hours. So that made sense for that from a, a weather perspective, and that still holds today. Uh, but the other thing is locations, as we talked about before. You can walk one street, you're in very much Venice type area. You go to one street, you could be in any you know urban town in anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a street uh, when we first moved down here. Uh, when I moved here, that I, we were driving down, and I I, I turned to uh, my then fiance, and I was like, wow, I feel like I'm in New York. Like this this like it's almost like a suburban part of New York, like a Rochester or. Something like that, and it was just like, but then you cross, and you're like, oh, now I'm I'm back in California. <laughs> and that that kind of mishmash of cultures 
one gives us our unique kind of appeal as a city, but also means that wherever you need a location, whatever you're looking for, you can probably find it as long as there's okay palm tree in the background. Mm. How about you, Nick? What do you think? Uh, I, I, I honestly won't have any more insight to that than Marcus. Um, I think, I mean, you can look at the, the generic answer, which is this is just where <laughs> film is. Um, and that's the show, folks. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> it has we've it always been. We've done it. We've answered the yeah. question. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm the one to answer that one. I, I, I've always lived here. This is all I've ever known. Um, yeah. I, well, there, there's the, the academic side of it as well, that uh, uh, getting into more of a cultural thing mm-hmm. when... Uh, a lot of Jews were moving, and uh, someone of Jewish culture as well. Which is, yeah, of course, we're Jews. Yes, so with Jewish culture is something that that I studied studied with pride. Is that uh, a lot of Jews moved from uh, Europe and especially Eastern Europe uh, in the early eighteen or excuse me, late eighteenth, early the excuse me, late nineteenth, early twentieth century? He likes history. I, I do like history. I, I, I talked about it before. History, yeah, no. history. You know, I was I was, was bringing it back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, a lot of these people they came with money and they came with business uh, know how, and they landed in Los Angeles and realized there was this entire industry that they could take over that for the first time pretty much in all of Jewish history no one said hey you can't do that yeah and, <laughs> and they did it and they did that and a hundred years later you know you could make a very strong argument that Los Angeles and the cultural exports from Los Angeles are the single single most influential uh, thing that happens in the world you know culture all around the world is, is projected or exported from our country now, uh, a popular saying in the entertainment world is hurry up and wait um, especially on a set, uh, if you're like an extra or something, it's hurry up, hurry up, but you're waiting for another hour and a half. Um, you talked about the speed of the city earlier, I believe, Nick, Nick 22. Yeah, Marcus did. Um, I feel like that also assists with film because it is such a hurry up and wait type industry. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the city uh, causes that? For film, or does film cause that for the city? I definitely think it's film causing that for the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably, I, I'm not going to say with any definitive, but I, I would guess kind of the root of that uh, that idea comes from the fact that so many jobs in the film world are not hourly. Mm-hmm. They're salaried, and not only are they salaried, they're salaried that requires you to work 100-hour weeks. So if you're... That's real, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, oh, so yeah absolutely. That's yeah. a requirement if you're going to it's 100-hour weeks and mm-hmm. you screw your social life. Um but since we have we have a, an entire industry that runs the town where people every second of their life matters because if they're not working towards making money they're losing money mm-hmm. that kind of culture especially since the whole city takes after the Hollywood culture that culture emanates out and you see people walking around down the streets you know Absolutely. and it's also because it is such a film in town where a lot of people moved here for that purpose if they're not doing it they've infested someplace else where they probably have <laughs> infested yeah. is the appropriate term they've, 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 they've poisoned the well of another place mm-hmm. with that same probably mentality in a lot of ways so let's move on to you kind of you, you guys uh, either lost a job or went finished school and, or went through school um, what was your first steps to pursuing either acting or directing or uh, 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 being a cinematographer what was the first steps you guys took Towards uh, making that a, a I'd like career. to I'd like to give credit to Marcus's uh, cinematography career mm-hmm. um, because I believe it was like the second or third first handful of meetings that we had in his apartment um, talking about the business how we were going to make money Are you sure we want to you know tell stories win Oscars and change the world but we got to make money and we were like well what are we going to do we going to do and 
Uh, that's what Marcus told me what his job was on set. He's, he's, a, he's an AC. He's a first AC. Um, can, you, can you explain what that is just real quick? So at the time I was working as a first AC, which is a first assistant cameraman. They're responsible for uh, maintaining and building the camera package at the start of production, uh, keep making sure it's up and running for the rest of the day with all the proper settings, and then very, very, very importantly, and this is the very difficult part of the job, during the actual running of the take, they're the one responsible for keeping the shot in focus. And on some shots, it's uh, it could be fairly easy. You have a couple of feet of, of margin of, of error. Some shots are very, very difficult, and you have a couple of inches at most of margin of error. And there's a reason why these people get paid a lot, a lot of money to do this, because mm-hmm. it's a very difficult skill. Right. Yeah, so that's Marcus's job, or was his job. And my personality is as follows. I'll tell you the story, but this is not out of the realm of... Uh, this is not unorthodox for me to think like this. And I said, well, what's the step up from that? And he said, well, it's the DP. It's the director of photography, the cinematographer. And I said, so why don't you do that? You make more money. And he says, well, it's, you know, I, I got to do this. He, he was just telling me like a process. And I said, why don't you just do it? Who do you work for? And he told me who he works for for the most part. I said, are you friends with them? He said, yes. Yeah. Well, then just do it. Just like literally just do it. No, I, I just came over here and said, let's start a production company. We, we just did it. Just do it. And this is, I, 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 I tell this to every single person I meet. He is the best on set whenever he's on set. Mm-hmm. He's the smartest person in the room. Thank you. At any given time when it comes to anything technical about film. I disagree with him a lot on his opinions because he's so smart. And I have to feel like I have an opinion. Uh, but, and I said, Marcus, you can do, just do it. Because he has all the knowledge. He's been doing it his whole uh, somewhat adult life. Mm-hmm. Since he was like, this is what I want to do with my life, he's been doing it and he's been learning. This is what he does. He mentioned it earlier. He's always reading, he's always uh, watching something, this, that. He's never not learning. And he's always been doing that since I've known him. And so I just said, Mark, you just do it. Just be a cinematographer, be a DP. And so like, literally he did. <laughs> I, I, to the reason I didn't before, he, I, I knew Nick, everything Nick was saying was Nick true. Nick gets credit. <laughs> yes, Nick gets all the credit in the world. Um, I, I'm I knew, this. I, I knew, I knew the things he was saying was true. I knew it was possible, but it wasn't something I wanted to, I wasn't something I was going to half-ass. I mean, you know, I'm the type of person, if I do something, I only do it to the best of my ability and only do it uh, uh, with 100% of my effort. Mm. And I knew that if I went down this, this, this path of cinematography, we would have to do all the things we've done for the last couple of years, which have been incredibly difficult. And before I was going to do something like that, I wanted to make sure I had a partner who was on board, willing to work just as, diff- uh, just as hard as I am, because, uh, and I'll say this to a blue in the face, this is not something you can do by yourself. Mm. It, is, it is not... With one, you, it's literally impossible to make a film by yourself. You need a lo- at least one person in front of the camera and one person behind it. But running a company just by itself, and especially running a creative-based company, you absolutely 100% need a, a business partner you can trust, a business partner who you're... Someone you can trust so much that when they call you out on your bullshit, or sorry, on your, on your BS, you know that they're calling you out on your BS and not just being an asshole. You know that they... Marcus has told me out. I'm wrong more than my mom and dad. <laughs> I wish I was as smart as he was so I could tell him the same thing because I haven't I, 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 I said I disagree with your opinions but calling me out on, on, on certain things I, I have learned more from him and just because he's my business partner and we talk to each other a certain way you know I, we're making jokes now but you know when we're alone I mean it, we have very critical conversations of each other mm-hmm. and 
it's the only way to be better. Because first of all, no one's ever going to be more tough on, on, on us than we are on each other. Mm-hmm. So that that's a huge that's that I take that from from baseball. I was uh, I was always my toughest critic because I hated how much other people yelled at me when I was not <laughs> performing. Like my, I, I took uh, batting lessons and my dad was just you know really really on me and I was young and I didn't like being just you know gra- like just berated berated. Yeah. And so I was like, no, I'm, I, I suck. I, I need to be better. And like, I would just continuously tell myself I need to be better. I'd find something that I needed to improve and this, that, and the other. And we kind of act like that with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, like you said, it's super important to have someone you trust. Mm-hmm. Because this is not only a business that you need to hopefully make money in. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be creating content that is never going to be objectively correct or not. Right. For the most part. I mean, you, may touch on something but like for the most part all of this is is subjective yeah all of the stories we're going to be telling could be told a different way mm-hmm. and we have to you know really eat at each other and, and nitpick and say is this the best thing for you and for the company and this and, and it, it really makes solid conversations and products mm-hmm. and it's it's important and you, you touched on another day you've mentioned a couple times surround yourself with people who are better than you that's the only way you can learn the, 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 the things that I was doing we mentioned before the things that I was doing as an AC those those things were working for cinematographers who were better than I was so I could just sit there and watch oh you did that instead of this you did this instead of that mm-hmm. and from learning and asking those questions that's how you uh, you as a person become a better person and a better filmmaker what was the first set you worked on Nick? It, it was my own <laughs> I had I had literally never been on a set in my life and then I was like I'm and they're like Nick you're gonna direct this thing and I was like dude I got no idea what the heck I'm the doing. Godfather <laughs> pretty Pete, much Pete, Pete's Dragon and then the Godfather <laughs> what do you, how would you describe your first film it's Godfather meets Pete's Dragon <laughs> yes, green lit go go just make it but in, in, in all serious no uh, serious Seriousness, though, Coppola has a director's handbook from The Godfather. You know the way this is the way he works. This is literally Marcus's Bible. He, seriously, he he kept notes of everything, every little detail from start to finish the entire movie, and now it's bound in a very nice book that you can buy. And <laughs> this this episode yeah, not like it would be <laughs> less either. than nice. Um, but you just sit down and read that. It's like 50, 100 pages, something like that. Take you a couple hours to get through because you really got to pour through everything. And you can just see this is how a director actually made one of the best movies that's ever been made. Right. And what, it's invaluable. What was the first set you ever worked on? The very, very, very Mark. first set I ever worked on. The very Mark. first professional set I worked on. First professional set you worked on. So the first professional set I worked on uh, was for this project called white sheep or something like that some i forgot exactly what it's called but it was a, it was a short film mm-hmm. uh josh bramer one of our other uh pledge bros uh uh got me on he was a pa on that uh asked me if i wanted to come in pa absolutely of course first day we show up on set it was a two-day shoot first day we show up the producer comes into like the 10 12 pas are says hey the second ac is sick any guys know camera department i looked to my friend josh he was the one who got me the job of course he should get the promotion he said i don't know camera department Look to me, I didn't know camera department either, but I wasn't gonna pass up the opportunity. So I said, yeah, of course I know camera department. So I got bumped up to second AC. Within like 30 seconds, the, the first AC called me on my bullshit. Called me on my BS because obviously I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, like I played with DSLRs, but that's not what camera department is. It's, right. a, it's a much more complicated setup with very specific protocols. Mm-hmm. He uh, begrudgingly taught me the things I needed to know for the day to get through the day. Then uh, the next day, the real second AC came back, so I went just back to PAing, and I thought that might be the end of it. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks later, I got a call from one of the people on that set, hey, do you want to come second AC again? Got another AC gig, 
put together a little resume, got myself uh, an internship at a rental house, and then so just kept rolled in That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I would I would I would have to point out, I was terrible. I was terrible. <laughs> I, I I don't know how like I was I was saved by the editor. I was oh, God, saved yeah. by the editor. It, 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 honestly, it, I, my name is is on it as a as a director. Oh my god, this is, it, it was beautiful. But I didn't do any of that. The photos look great. No, yeah, I mean, like I, I, they were asking me questions, and I was like, please don't ask me these questions. I don't know what you're asking me. Just do things. What's, what's funny is that as as uh, uh, Marcus, as a writer, I'm sure is aware. Uh, as a writer, it's almost the opposite, where you're like, oh, please don't put my name. Yeah. On that. What I was so happy. I was like, you need to slap it on there. This is Nick. But again, honestly, this is where it comes in from a collaborative, this collaborative work. Oh, 100%. Nick had a really great idea. We can't talk about it right now, but a really, really great idea for a thing. We put together the basics idea of it, and then he handed off the technical to me as a cinematographer and then to this editor uh, as, as the editor, and we took his creative ideas, ran with it, and My together, creative ideas. Yeah, Nick's creative ideas. Ran with it and together, uh, <laughs> together we, we made a great short film. We took Francis Ford Coppola's ideas. Yeah. Nick turned it into his ideas. We just but, blatantly plagiarized. But in all, just changed the name. In our series, you, you cannot hit this point enough. Mm-hmm. You cannot do this alone. And the entirety of a film crew will never, if I say these words for the rest of my life, it will still not be enough. A film crew will never get the credit that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Ever, 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 ever. It's a shame that films are sold that the way they are through just, I mean, how anything is sold, mm-hmm. which is is, is is a big name actor or this that you can put on it and then boom, it sells. Or it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a name brand of something. It's, mm-hmm. it's a well-known thing. Because man, these guys they or and girls they don't get that credit. You have no idea if you have never been on a set, and mm-hmm. you you have no idea yeah. how hard everybody works. There's actually well. a really great documentary. We were talking about Kubrick a moment ago. Uh, I, I feel terrible because I can't remember his name now. But Kubrick's uh, his title was the assistant, but he was pretty much Kubrick's right hand man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the one who found Danny uh, to play uh, in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also was in. Um, uh, he was in Barry Lyndon, and he was also in Eyes Wide Shut. He basically did all of Kubrick's research. You know, he was his Kubrick's brain went wild and creative for years, and the only reason he was allowed to just be crazy is because another guy more or less took care of the technical and the mm-hmm. the the logistical. Do you, do you remember what the documentary is called? Uh, it's called Film Workers. Oh, okay. The documentary because that was what he called himself. He called himself a film worker, not a, a, a director's assistant. Oh, okay, and it's a. Uh, this is this is coming out in August, so this will be now. But uh, no film school just ran. Can we say the date? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's May. It was it May thirtieth, something like that? Yeah. No, no film school just ran an article. I was just reading about this, like, I think last week, about a huge interview with the director and with the uh, this guy, the film worker. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what? So it's kind of like, we've kind of talked a little bit about your partnership throughout a little bit. Let's get a little more focused on that. How did you guys initially meet? Fraternity. Yeah. Okay. Alpha Epsilon Pi. Gotcha. Uh, on our initiation, I probably was the first, maybe sometime during rush week, but definitely initiation. What clicked about you guys when you guys started kind of talking, getting to know each other? Like, what do you feel led to for me it was being able to be a part of it? I knew Nick was never going to give up. That's mm-hmm. that's what I needed over anyone. Like I, even if there's things that I know in my head, I've always been a slightly more timid person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 
may I almost certainly would not have done any of this if Nick didn't come and offer the idea first. You know, I had the idea was kicking my head too, but I never actually would have gone through. We're actually equal partners. I don't own a majority. <laughs> <laughs> yes, equal partners. You terrible negotiator. <laughs> he actually gave Marcus fifty two percent. I was like, yeah, you deserve it. <laughs> and uh, the the. Okay, so, so. You, you said I'm a hard worker and oh, I'm yeah. awesome. I, I never, no, I never, <laughs> I, I, I never would have would have done this. Like, that's the point. So the the thing that I was looking for more than anything in a business partner was someone who just had the drive, who was going to make something appear that didn't exist before. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing about film, you know, especially in pre production, you kind of a group of people are saying, "Hey, we're all going to make this film," and in your head that movie exists, but it doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. You really have to truly will that into existence. And that's a level of mental strength a lot of people don't have, and I instantly saw that in Nick. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, you've obviously mentioned a lot of love for Marcus. He's the smartest human being I've ever yeah. in my life. I mean, obviously, it seems like it's really well known of like why you would have gone, just from the nice things you've said already yeah, he, about he, it. He has proven... I, I, I didn't choose Marcus because he wouldn't give up. I, I didn't know that yet. Of course, I thought that because I'm not going to go into business with somebody. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I would have gone into somebody if that was a prerequisite. I was not well, that well put together. But looking back on it now, that is a huge, 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 massive component. Mm-hmm. Originally, I went into business with Marcus because I knew if I hung around him long enough, I would be decent. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I, would, I would say one thing um, for both of you guys. I've, I've known you guys for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, worked with you on some stuff. Um, I would say you see you guys are very personable thank you guys thank um, you. very nice very kind fun, easy to talk to did you get our permission on the pictures you took yet uh, yes okay. we try very 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 hard to be personable one thing it always there was always a comfort working with you guys and I think that that's you know there was a nice puzzle piece uh, with thank people you. you definitely I don't think this is any kind of new Nick is more of the talker in a lot of ways Marcus Absolutely. is more the observer Absolutely. and so it's again the puzzle pieces mm-hmm. you know you have the, the long piece which is what maybe Nick doesn't have I definitely I definitely speak yeah. before I know everything <laughs> <laughs> well, I said Nick doesn't have a long piece. Oh, no. Nick. Okay, so that, that's better. But I mean, you're, 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 you're 100 right though. I before before Nick and I partnered up, I started writing a script uh, with a friend of mine, a guy mm-hmm. that I was pretty good friends with, who was a very very good writer, but also very similar to me. Mm-hmm. And within a couple of meetings, I just knew this this wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely needed a compliment. <laughs> Your your business partner, unless you're the Coen Brothers, where you you two are literally sharing, almost literally sharing the same mind. Right. I think partnerships work better as contrast rather as compliments and contrast rather than. Absolutely. You need someone to call you on your crap. Absolutely. But then also to understand when you're right, as Michael points to me. To fill in the the parts that you need, like we. Not only do Nick and I compliment each other really well, this uh, this third producer that we're, we're working with, this guy, mm-hmm. the more or less an unofficial partner of our company. He's about guys, to be an official partner. About to be official. Hopefully by, by August. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he, you know, Nick and I seemed like just the two of us, we handled what we thought the scope of it was, mm-hmm. but we realized... We had a huge missing piece. And this this person, even though he can do some of the things that we can, we trust his opinion mm-hmm. uh, in, our, in our fields, he absolutely can take over... The, the business aspects of this company, the, the corporate, call it, the right. corporate aspects of the company that we weren't prepared to handle. Our yes. success moving forward is 
it is so in his hands. Right. We have we, we, we entrust him with everything. Absolutely. Um, the last producer, uh, we did the same. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, a thing. But we, we talked earlier, this is actually a perfect example of this. We talked earlier about having to be prepared for the worst. Mm-hmm. We knew when we started this that... Oh, it still hurt. And of course it still hurt. But we knew when we started this, we were going to make a bunch of really low-budget movies mm-hmm. that were going to be very difficult physically and mentally on us to, to do, especially... I'd like to point out we had no creative input on, this fil- on these films. I technically have writing credit on one of them, so but besides that. I had no creative input on these and films. And I was a cinematographer on most of them. But besides that, <laughs> we, we knew that these were going to be unbelievably taxing for us. We knew, again, like your uncle said, putting your head down and just not picking your head up. Mm-hmm. And we also knew there was a very good chance that it was going to completely bankrupt and destroy us. Mm-hmm. And we, we got a lot closer to that safety net than we wanted to, but we had that safety net there, that, that moment where, that line where we knew... Once we hit a year, we have to pull back. Right. We have to cut our losses and be prepared. Mm-hmm. And we hit that moment. We cut it, cut our losses there. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about film credits and your IMDb page is it never goes away. Right. So we got. I still get emails from people thinking I'm a producer. <laughs> <laughs> you hopefully should be. Hard. Hopefully, there's the, the the point is you know we got very uncomfortably close to bankruptcy, mm-hmm. but not there. We were able to pull ourselves out because you know keeping your head down. Mm-hmm. And now we are back in a comfortable position. We have our film factory built up the way we wanted, making movies at a budget level we're comfortable with mm-hmm. instead of uh, a constricted budget level. Right. And those credits, those those experiences, those knowledge, those will never go away. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of our career, we'll be better for the experience. Right. And we were prepared for the worst. Now, what was the, when, when Nick said, hey, do you want to start a film company, do a production company, what was the first steps you guys took? To name. starting the kind of <laughs> name, name. name. Honestly, it was really fun. Name, naming is something, especially because we're both writers, and mm-hmm. as you know, your character's name is, is something that really, really matters. Mm-hmm. It has to say something, something about you. Mm-hmm. So we we based the name of our company off of a, a Native American story, mm-hmm. very popular one these days, about which wolf you feed. Mm-hmm. You know, greed, anger is the bad one. Hope, you know, goodness is the good one. And that idea that that's where the wolf uh, symbolism came from in our, in our name to start a bit. And we also knew. Uh, we wanted to lead a, a group of people. We didn't want to do this by ourselves. Do you, do you remember some names that didn't make the cut? There was something on an island. There was. There was. I kind of like. I think it was literally on an island. Oh, it was on an island because uh, based off that Pink Floyd song. Oh, okay. You know, or, uh, gotcha. more I don't think we had any like super crappy names. I really don't think so. I, <laughs> we were all like awesome. we didn't have like like dinosaur scale. You know what I mean, like we. we oh, didn't like, excuse me. That sounds like an awful. <laughs> <laughs> like write that down. Devs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but like we didn't have that's any trademark. Company. Exactly. <laughs> that's how trademark works. You just say it. Trademark. Yeah, trademark. trademark. <laughs> you throw a bunch of money in the air and you go trademark <laughs> and legally binding. Yeah. <laughs> but we honestly, I don't think we had any super crappy names. Mm-hmm. No. We like. Didn't but when we hit I wasn't the, asking for crappy. I'm just saying what was. See, crappy. but I wish I, there's so it's so much funny when you have like a really because you, you guys have all had we've all had ideas. We were called bunny bones. Honestly, I really like looking back on the amount of time someone myself a lot has taken something so seriously that was so like just terrible like objectively <laughs> and like I was trying to convince myself and everybody else, dude, this is amazing. You gotta this. That's not a great story. Um, <laughs> I think we just got that. <laughs> That's great. But I, I really enjoy, especially from a creative standpoint, how hard we push our own ideas because we have to believe in them. Mm-hmm. And so like back to the naming thing, I wish we had a really crummy idea because I love when I have a really crummy idea and I'm like, no, 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 I got it. This is a good idea. And then I just tell myself it is so much that I have to convince Marcus it is. And he's like, Nick, Nick. <laughs> It is not a good it's idea. Not, Durable pants is not a good yeah, film. No. 
Curling fans. It's a good band name. Yeah, it's a good fellow band name. I'm not going to say the trademark. Trademark. In case you haven't seen it, we just wrote a check through in the air. We use checks still. Apparently. I memoed you, actually. I threw my phone in the air. And it shattered. Yeah. So, how did you guys get your first camera? How did you get everything set up? Like, what? Like, for those people that are looking to start a production, sold my soul. What were the processes? So, the plan that we had that it worked. It did work. Because you have a really nice camera. We should, I have no idea. <laughs> Need me? I've been working with it for you two and a half years. I still don't know. You have an alien camera. camera. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, I just, we started with my. What, what do we have? You always got to start with when you start a company. What resources do you have? And at the time, what we had was a bunch of energy, which was good that we could expend on everything, mm-hmm. and my connections from one, my ACing world. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it at the time. So since I used to work at a rental house and I still had connections in that world, so and I had some connections to um, uh, owner operators as well, people who, who work in the industry who own their own equipment. Yeah. We started by reaching out to them and saying, hey, can we subrent your equipment? We'll say it's ours. Mm-hmm. You get most of the money. It was about 50 to 75% of the, the, the money. And we'll go on set, we'll run the job. Basically build us, build us up, build our network. So people know, hey, you need, uh, for us it was a red epic you need a Red Epic Dragon, go to these people, they'll get you a good deal, they'll get you what you need. And we used that very small pool of, of network that I had, plus the equipment we had access to. Um, one of the one of our connections uh, was this guy, Paul Bean. He was fantastic to us, uh, still is uh, a, a good friend of ours. Got us up off the ground, got us access to some equipment, um, and he, he really helped push us forward. And then once we had our feet on the ground, so to speak. We were a company, we could prove, hey, we can make money and hey, people will call us for this. We started putting together a, a business plan to get a loan. It took us about nine months or so from the time we started putting together that loan to the time money was actually in our account. Um, nine months of research, uh, you know, all the different versions, because uh, for people who don't know, camera packages these days are like uh, handmade cars. You know, you buy every component yourself and then build the car yourself. So it's, it's infinitely customizable with uh, varying different cost levels. So we put together a, a whole research, uh, a whole proposal. We found our investor. It took us a very long time to negotiate the actual deal itself. And then once we had the money, we were able to buy our own equipment and things just kept snowballing from there. Again, it's about momentum, you yeah. know, always pushing forward. Um, so working together as friends and then kind of going into colleagues, I guess in a way, and partners, um, what are some of the, what would you say some of the pros and cons of working with uh, a friend or someone you're close with or having a, a close partnership like that? Well, pros are trust. That's mm-hmm. for, for me, as godfather, you know, going back to that, you know, that's the root of all, all of my psychology comes down to that. Right. Trust and respect. That's, mm-hmm. if I can't trust you and if I don't respect you as a person, I, I can't even be in the room with you, let alone, you know, work intimately with you. And, and He's often alone. I'm very often alone. That's not a lot of people I trust or respect. <laughs> <laughs> you too, of course. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> For me, even though everyone says, you know, don't work with friends, don't work with people you know, it's bad. I knew I was going to have to be the opposite of that. I was going to have to work with people that I knew and respected mm-hmm. and just find the right person who could separate. You know, Nick and I had a very direct talk about this early in our partnership. It was, all right, from this day forward, we aren't friends anymore. Mm-hmm. We're co-owners of a company. And that's a totally different, and in my opinion, a more, a more special relationship, a more intimate relationship than just a friend. And in my mind, especially because we're both mature people and we talk to each other, that wasn't me saying, you know, get out of my life. It was, 
me saying, all right, maybe we shouldn't just like hang out and play video games like we used to in college. If we're ever in the same room together, we should probably be focusing on something much bigger. We have never not talked about business since we've been in business. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it, it's funny in a lot of ways, sorry to, to kind of cut you off, but it's funny, like Michael and I kind of have the same thing. It's really hard for us not to talk about this. I would, I would say it's impossible. I really would. Like you would need other. to have some sort of separation with a narcotic to <laughs> like do that. And even then you might just get trippier conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's why, you know, when Nick, when Nick and I are in a larger social setting, it's obviously, it. obviously easier, but we had to, not only do we have to say, right, you know, we can't just like hang out and not work. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, maybe we should you know, we had the same group of friends in our fraternity, all of our pledge bros, and as college ended, that kind of dissolved as things do, people separate, and we both kind of gravitated back towards the friends we had in high school. Mm-hmm. So, not in, not in the sense that we didn't want to hang out with each other, but in the sense that we knew we needed to have separate social social circles so we could separate from the, the stress of, of mm-hmm. work. And, you know, like on Sunday, I went and golfed with a couple of my friends, it was Memorial Day weekend, you know, the, those couple of hours just outside of the business world, you, you need that to, to stay sane, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're there with your business partner, at least for the person I am, the back of my mind will say, stop having fun and go back to work. Right. Go back. I think another thing to add kind of to that, it's got to be someone you don't tire of easily. Um, We've said it several times, Michael and I talk almost nonstop for the most part, except for maybe the hours of like 10 p.m. to like (laughs) 8.30 a.m., then we're talking again. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely times where you need that space, for sure, obviously. But... You, you can spend eight hours with each other and not want to kill each other by the end of those eight hours. And if, but if, even if you do want to kill each other, you don't, you move on, and the next day you're yeah, back at it. Yeah, quick death. Yeah. <laughs> merciful. 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 It'll be merciful. Um, but you're back at it the next day, and it's like nothing ever happened. You can be completely angry at each other that day because of stress, but you both realize that you're mature enough, hopefully, to understand it. But yeah, I think it's, it's important that you have to have someone that you can... You don't get tired of it easily, but if you do, it's something that passes over easily. And you can you can never take things personally. You know, mm. if you guys get emotional, if if you're fighting over, even if it seems like the thing you're fighting over is some some minor type of deal, like you said, you come back the next day and it's all right. It's back to business. Yeah, we're not you know we're not immature. We're not in high school. You know. But I think, yeah, I was gonna say it goes back to maturity in mm. a lot of ways. You have to have that being able to understand who you are, who they are, and empathy, Absolutely. and be able to relate and understand and compromise and all that fun And it's stuff. the same level of confidence as well in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't really believe the things that you were saying mm-hmm. the night before when you were arguing, then you were just being kind of a dick. You know, mm-hmm. if you really did believe them and you were had conviction in your, your, your thoughts, the next day when you guys meet again, you'd say, all right, well, after thinking about it all night, you were definitely right about these three things, and I'm still sure I was right about this one thing. So right. it's, you know, well, it almost goes back to like a professional understanding where it's like, okay, what went well, and what didn't, absolutely. And before they go, well, we had this moment where we kind of disagreed, and I think we left it at a bad spot. This is where my where I was coming, from. and it's again talking it out absolutely. and coming up with uh, oh, good. And it comes down to to shared goals. I mean, we we both want, of course, the company to succeed, but at the root of all of that is we both have uh, a particular grouping of films, me, my films, and Nick's films in particular, that we know we want to make in our career. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are leading up to these these films that we've been spending our whole life, our whole lives kind of preparing for. Mm-hmm. And we know, you know, we may be arguing about uh, how much percent to give up in this deal, mm-hmm. but what we're really arguing about is, is this going to push us forward towards where we need to be in our in our careers? Absolutely. You know? How about you, Nick? What are you, th- what are you thinking? I see you pondering over there. Pondering. Um, I definitely do think that we have um, a friendly relationship. Um, but yeah, Marcus and I definitely aren't your prototypical friends. 
Um, I do think it, it, it would be almost impossible to hang out with Marcus and not talk about business at all yeah, to be a waste of time it, it, it I don't know if it's a waste of time I like you but <laughs> <laughs> but I it's it's not possible yet it's not um, I mean at least I'm not going to make it possible yet because I do believe that we control most things in our lives um, but it, it's it, it's not really saying that we're not friends anymore is is it is it's a big thing to say? You know, most of the time when you say you're not friends with somebody, you know, it's like you're scorned or you scorned them or you know something like that. It really feels like an evolution. I, know, um, I was just thinking, it's like yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's saying it's because when you say you're not friends, it sounds like a cutoff, right? And it's not a cutoff; it's, it's a transformation into something else. It is, it is it is as platonic a an intimate relationship as as you can get, or is it? It's as intimate a platonic relationship as you can get. We're both staking the futures of our careers, the things that we hold. He knows more about me than just about anybody on the planet, and and you know, vice versa when it comes to film insecurities, things like that. Like you know, the deepest darkest secrets, some stuff that he's done in his private life and my stuff. Maybe we don't know, but emotionally, no, nobody knows me better than you know, Marcus. Honestly, I mean, he, he knows exactly how to talk to me, what to say, and, and, and things like that. And I think, I think it is an evolution in the relationship. And there is no doubt in my mind, when we are successful, mm-hmm. by our definitions, because we are tough critics, we are, we're going we're gonna to make some stupid trip to Japan and eat at Jiro's, yes. and eat at Jiro's Sushi. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make a reservation six months in advance, and we're going to spend $1,000 on one meal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do it as business partners who are really, really, really good friends. And we're gonna be able to, at, at that point, yeah. we'll be able to separate certain things. But it's, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a negative, it's truly an evolution. Absolutely. Now, I wanna do something real quick. Um, okay. uh, several episodes back, one of our first, our first host, host episode that we did, um, Michael and I took a how well do you know your partner quiz. And I have those questions in my hand. Interesting. You didn't uh, ask me any questions before this. So. You asked me for some numbers. So uh, that, that has nothing. That's going to be later. Um, uh, so I'm going to ask, I'm just going to, they're not going to be the same questions. I'm just, it's just a few real quick. I just want to. So am I going to like say, yes, he's right or no? No, no, no. It's, oh. it's, it's pretty much asking, like, it's how well do you know them and okay. their life and their okay. history. So like I'll ask Nick a question about Marcus and just, and we'll see how much he may know and then vice versa about Nick. Um, so Nick, Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry, no, no. Uh, Marcus, what is Nick's least favorite body part? Body part? Mm-hmm. This is the stuff we don't talk about. <laughs> That's the fun uh, part. You'd be, we were surprised how well, how much we did not know about each other by yeah. taking this. So is it, uh, but honestly, I don't mean to sound, you know, maybe not progressive. Is it a universal body part? <laughs> I was about to say, can it be... Is it gender specific? It's it's whatever. Okay. I mean, I mean, stay somewhat PG. If, okay. if, if that's number one, let's go to number two. <laughs> well, that's literally and figuratively, or is it what's his least favorite yeah. body part? What is, what is like on his body? What, is, or? what does Nick think is his least favorite? Oh, body he knows part? that one hundred percent. Knows? No, it's one hundred percent. All right. Yeah. All right. On my body. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought like generalized. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, really that'd be like, it's probably like behind the ear or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick, yeah. when Marcus was a kid, what did he want to be when he grew up? I mean, as long as he's known what he wanted to do, he's wanted to be a filmmaker. Exactly. But he also wanted to play professional lacrosse. I mean, it's... Okay. Don't call me a little, a little, 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 little Okay. Yeah. okay. Right. Uh, Marcus, 
Name a country that Nick would love to visit. Japan. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. All right. Um, Nick, Definitely New Zealand first, but Japan for the food. Nick, did Marcus have a nickname as a child? And what was it? I know his nickname that we that we know in the fraternity, but I don't, you know, I'm sure he'll say it and I'll be like, oh, yeah. What was your nickname as a kid? I didn't really have one. Okay. I kind Not of... Not even a family one? Uh, my... Loser. My mom called me <laughs> loser. <laughs> yeah. Disappointment and accident. I don't even know where that came from. That actually came from your dad you know. in an argument with your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that's um, sad. Back to uh, not destroying my childhood. Um, um, my mom called me Magic Marcus at times, and some of my I, like was this because of the the type of diaper you wore. I hope not. And no, then sometimes my high school friends called me M Cosmicoscos or M Cos Clowns. Okay. There was no way I was getting any you of were that. Not, yeah. Um, I'm not faulted. Uh, I'm still the, uh, Marcus, mm-hmm. what is Nick's favorite flavor of ice cream? Ooh, I don't know that. Um, if you had to guess, what would you think it would be, knowing him? Boston flavored? <laughs> Yes. So Boston cream. Boston cream. There it is. <laughs> no, I just uh, wait. Sorry, Jameson flavor. <laughs> yeah. Jameson flavor. I, Jameson is my favorite alcohol. Well, there we go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's I like Irish whiskey. That's close. What's, what's your favorite ice cream? I don't like ice cream. Oh, I mean, oh. like I, I will not go out of my way to eat ice cream. I like ice cream. I will not go out of my way to eat it. All right, Nick. What, uh, what, what does uh, Marcus look forward to most on the weekends? Uh, sleep. <laughs> is that true? Right. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> but well, let's see. Okay. What is a weekend? Yeah, because, because days on and off are really. Saturday. I yeah, usually Saturday, shoot Saturday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My so weekend is like usually like so Tuesday, days Wednesday. Off, yeah. He looks yeah. forward to sleep. I look gotcha. forward to okay. sleeping and reading okay. and maybe watching something. Um, Marcus, how did Nick spend his summers as a child? Playing baseball. Yeah. Man, this is you guys. Wait, we did terrible. <laughs> and finally, Nick, what is Marcus's favorite and least favorite aspects of his job? That's a good question. I don't even know the answer. <laughs> I feel like I can I can answer it. I just don't know how objectively correct I'm going to be. Um, you know, for me, it's never enough. Right? Yeah. Marcus's favorite job is that his saying and his family's saying. It's not really his family saying. I've heard this before. But it's what they it's what they live by. Is uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So when Marcus is actually working, mm-hmm. doing what he loves, that's his favorite thing because right. he's not working. Right. Uh, his least favorite is being around stupid people. <laughs> I was thinking honestly, actually. Yeah. I was thinking, honestly that's, thinking that's probably it. It's, I'm not kidding. Marcus has a saying, and I've adopted it. It's just stupid people are stupid. Well, obviously, you guys know each other very well, more yeah. than Michael did. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is sad. Um, what's the, what's some advice you give people for living in LA? Just a quick thing that you'd say to help them get through. Uh, don't live near the 10145 <laughs> or the ten and one ten or a fire department. Yes. Um, <laughs> or near Um no, make sure. And this is a very easy t- town to forget how amazing this place is geographically. Mm-hmm. Like there's, besides the best weather, pretty much in the world, you got the best food, you got the best views, you have the best hikes, you have the best beaches. You can go two hours in any direction, be in a different environment. You can go half an hour anywhere in the city and be somewhere completely different. I live in the San Fernando Valley, and you could just be in just anywhere. Exactly, and that people, a lot of times, get lost in like my Netflix when I'm at home and then like I'm at my 9 to 5 and nothing else exists except traffic mm-hmm. there is so much you can just google like what's going on in LA tonight and just you bars have and clubs too many options. and live, live music that's something you, oh, yeah. 
if you're living in the middle of nowhere, you're not going to see a huge amount of live music coming through every day. You could go to a concert every night in Los Angeles. I don't know if you have a more wide range of that live music he's talking about. You can find about any genre. Yeah. So that's that's definitely what don't just don't forget that you're living in the best place in the world. Enjoy it while you're here. You know, especially if it's only going to be for a short time. You know, and you're going to fail because you're probably going to fail. And what's some advice you have for uh, uh, aspiring filmmakers out there? Read and watch every single thing you can hit your hand on. Specifically, DVD commentaries. That was something I used to spend a lot of time that I don't do anymore actually, which I probably should get back to. But all the movies that you love that get them on DVD I know you know DVDs are like a weird thing that nobody mm-hmm. has anymore I, I collect DVDs me too because they're great I but just bought Logan in uh, About Time oh God, about it's a time. good movie okay that's if you want to do one thing to I, I was going to bring it up because yeah. Marcus loves this thing so hard if you want to do one thing as, for yourself as a filmmaker go watch About Time and then, and then watch the trailers for it oh, yeah. because it is yeah. the greatest switcheroo for a marketing campaign ever you all thought this was the Notebook Part 2 in Britain and mm-hmm. it's not yeah. it is such an amazing yeah, and then, and then call your parents afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or watch it with your parents. Oh. Do it that way. But, but going back, DVD commentaries. Watch all the special features. Watch all the behind-the-scenes stuff so you can see how movies are made. But most, 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 most importantly, watch the live director's commentaries of the movies. Mm-hmm. You will learn so much. And these are you'll never really hear a director, unless you go to a Q&A, talk so specifically about their film unless you're watching a commentary. And it's something people just completely ignore. And what's sad is it's almost rare now for a lot of films to have yeah. commentary. How about you, Nick? Any advice that you'd give to an aspiring filmmaker out there okay. listening with bated breath? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually do have one more thing. No, I need to think. Uh, flickchart.com. Yes. For, for people who don't know that. Yes. It's like basically the reason my brain hasn't exploded right now. It's a, The tagline of the website is if they're both five-star movies, which one's better? And it's a, a film ranking website. And if you do it for long enough, you can create a, a reasonably accurate top 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, all the way to hundreds of uh, your favorite movies of all time. Hmm. So, you know, very specifically, I can say that Prestige is number one on my list and Godfather is number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, find what your motivation is, define it, and then always remind yourself of it. Because the, if you're going to be a filmmaker, you're going to try and learn the craft. That's... You're going to do that. That's mm-hmm. not even up for discussion. So, of course, watch the DVD commentaries. Of course, do this. Of course, do that. Mm-hmm. But you need to stay motivated because it is going to get very hard. It's going to get very dark. And you need to be able to find what sparked you to, most of the time, pick up where your life was and come here. Or give up your, your current life to do something else if you're in the same geographical location. Find your motivation and never lose sight of that, mm-hmm. because that's yeah, that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Are you guys working on anything right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, sure. Is there anything that you can talk about currently? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be making my directorial debut on like an actual movie, oh. um, <laughs> not not like the stuff that we've made before. Right. Um, not that that's you know <laughs> 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 to put ourselves down. Yeah, to put ourselves down, but you know we're gonna do some things. Um, and it was important. Though, right? No, it was not. No golden handcuffs. No. We do uh, live in the valley, though, so it's it is an option. We yeah. just choose not to do it. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yeah, it, I'll be making my directorial debut. Uh, Marcus will be uh, he'll be DPing and he'll be uh, the producer on it. Um, I'll be producing, directing. I'll be co-directing. That is something I can't talk about with who I'll be co-directing with. Um, That's for a couple. Uh, yes, close. <laughs> 
No, I, it, no, but um, it's it's a lot of good things are finally happening. Um, you know, I, again, it's it's Marcus and I have a saying: it's not real until the money's in the bank account. Not really, you know, for this particular project regarding money, but that same sentiment remains true. It's 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 gonna happen. I'm just waiting. I'm just I, I'm I'm doing what I need to do. But it should be the thing that Marcus and I kind of look back on and say, "Wow, that was that was the thing." Yeah. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can find us. Uh, they can contact us directly. Our email company's email is leadinglobos at gmail com, or they can find us uh, on social media at leadinglobos uh, at all the social media sites, or at mfreelander one from uh, from mine and for Nick's. Don't follow me on social media on my own personal pages, but we do have um, a, uh, a a separate venture that we're working uh, on, and it's called Whirly Media, and you can find that on Facebook. Uh, how do you how do you spell that? Just so cool. Uh, that is going to be W, as in William. It's just fun watching him <laughs> H, as in hotel. Um, I as in uh, igloo. Mm-hmm. Um, what else starts with I? R at I. Uh, R as in uh, rambunctious. Uh huh. L as in Larry. That's my dad's name. Watching then, the concentration uh, on this man's yeah. face right now. And then Q. <laughs> no, it, why? Why, it, why is in Why is in you? Yeah. Oh, oh, why is in you? Thank you so guys, guys so much for talking with me for a little bit. Yeah, thank uh, you for having us. Fantastic. Uh, uh, stick around for the roundtable discussion. We'll talk a little bit more uh, LA, a little more entertainment industry. Uh, but again, thank you. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Back to you, Michael and Daniel in the studio. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed part one of our discussion with leading Lobos, Nick and uh, Marcus. Uh, They're really great guys. They have a great eye for what they're doing, um, and and they work their butts off um, because they love this profession. Um, I just want to kind of touch on a few things that they mentioned um, first of all, we kind of talked about the realities of chasing your dreams in LA and having realistic expectations uh, for it. I think uh, one of them said, you know, you, it's not going to happen in a day. You're not going to wake up and you're successful. Um, you know, first you have to understand what is success to you. You know, are you happy just being a character actor who nobody really knows your name, but they know your face? Um, and you may win an Emmy here and there for a guest spot or you know, a co-spot, but you're, you're not like the leading person that people know your name and know who you are every time. Um, one of those people I think is like Sterling K. Brown. I don't think most people would know who he is by name, but if you saw him, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's that guy, you know. Um, there's even a documentary about character actors called I-, I Know That Face, and it's about people who are character actors that no one knows their names, but everybody recognizes who they are because they've been in a ton of things. Um, definitely check it out. But, Gone off track here. Um, you know, you have to know how hard of, how hard of work you're gonna have to put in when you move to LA, and that it's about networking and pushing yourself and continually putting yourself out there and writing or going to auditions or classes or whatever. It's just what you have to do. Um, you can't. You know, we've talked before about putting a, a time limit, and you know. I, I know me and uh, Alyssa Carter kind of had a debate about that, and I think the biggest thing with that is you have to know how long you're willing to work at it. Are you willing to do this forever until you find that success that you're looking for, whatever that may be? Um, 
you have to, I think that there can't you have to be willing to do it for a long time uh, but have realistic realistic expectations on when you're furthering your career and when you're not and if your career continues to push and move then great but if for five years you you haven't done anything and you're not really motivated to push towards it maybe that's not the right career for you um, you know it's just the harsh reality of this business it doesn't happen right away it takes time and even then once you start building momentum it still takes more time um, you know some people didn't find any quote-unquote success in this business till they were 40 um, you know and they tried for years so it's just kind of what it is so just understand that when you come here um, they you know they also talked about friendship and business which you know Michael and I have a personal understanding with you know we just talk about it in in the in the podcast about how there's times like we talk a lot about this podcast and about collaboration we don't you know we talk about friend stuff and I think sometimes we have to make sure we do that like I have to remind myself sometimes to you know ask you know just kind of to not talk about friend stuff but to like bring up personal stuff and not just talk about what's going on with the podcast or a script because you know, we are friends and I want to keep that part of our relationship, uh, that friendship we have. And I think we do a good job of it. Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot off, off the off the podcast and just in personal conversations that, you know, uh, we wanted to make sure that we had a good, a good separation of friendship and work. Like him and I can go see a movie and have dinner and be great and just talk about life and what's going on. Um, but we can, we can get into business mode and we know what that means and that there can't be any like, well, you're my friend. Why would you say that? You know, kind of thing. I'm not that either of us are overly harsh, but that it's business that whenever we make decisions, if I say, like, I don't think that's a good idea, it's not a personal attack. It's just business. And, you know, I think so far we've done a really great job. And that's one of the things I was worried about when I started collaborating with Michael, cause I'd had partners before and collaborators before that took things very personally and um after that you know we and and i lost some good friendships because of that and you know after that i i was really weary about starting another one and but you know michael's been great and he listens and he understands and he knows when to turn it off and that's something i needed and so you know i know michael uh, marcus and nick talked about how you know, they decided really they couldn't be friends, that they're business partners now. Um, and I believe that to an extent, but I think they do have a little of that friendship left. You see it with them. And, you know, hopefully they hang out and stuff, which I feel they do. Um, but I get that. I get that push to, like, make sure there's no blurred lines between the two relationships because there can't. There can't be. So if you're thinking about starting something with your friends, Make sure you guys understand the boundaries and know what's at stake and that it could end your friendship if you both don't have level heads and can put your egos aside. You know, um, we talked recently uh, with another uh, interview. We had another interview recently where we kind of talked a little more about this, which you'll hear, I think, in 2018. But, you know, one of the things I mentioned in that interview was you have to understand your ego. And you have to know if you can set your ego aside and be able to see what your partner can contribute that maybe you can't and that they're better at than you and that you're not maybe as good with this or that as them 
And uh, I think that's really important to focus on when you're trying to start a, a partnership with somebody. So uh, just some thoughts to think about. Um, but other than that, uh, I, you know, I can't wait for you to hear Act 2. Uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. But uh, please remember to follow us on, on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, Hollywood Hustle Podcast, Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast, or Twitter, at LA Hustlecast. Uh, you can also follow Leading Lobos on Twitter, at Leading Lobos, or uh, Instagram, at Leading Lobos, see what they're going, what they're up to these days. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you are in some kind of partnership with a friend, uh, we'd love to hear what works for you guys, and we'd love to share any tips you have about collaborating or being partners or whatever uh, with other listeners. So email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what works for you guys. Um, or if you guys have, anybody has a production company and you have tips on starting a business or a small business or a production company, send those. Or if you just have any questions for the podcast, uh, we'd love to hear from you. In Act 2 with Nick and Marcus of Leading Lobos, we discuss why we feel film is important, what the purpose and responsibility of filmmakers are, and where are artists succeeding and where are they failing in those responsibilities. We also delve into what it's like running a film company in L.A., the ups, the downs, the good and the bad. We also talk about collaborating with others in L.A. Can artists in L.A. truly commit to collaborating with people? Uh, find out the answer to that and more next week with more laughs and more conversation in Act 2 with Marcus and Nick of Leading Lobos. Until then, we love you guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And always remember to keep up the hustle. <laughs>